Are you ready to have an open and honest discussion about sex and spiritual wellness without secrets, censorship, or barriers? This is Unbuckled with your host, Christy Ann Bella. In this program, there are no topics that are off the table, from religion to health, feelings to sexuality. Get ready to hear from some incredible people. And now, here's Christy Ann Bella. Hello and welcome. I am Christiane Bella, your intimacy architect, and we are unbuckling today. We're going to unbuckle the idea that being better is kind of bullshit. Um, judgment of ourselves, self-judgment, the way that we we sort of inner bully in this quest for perfection and to, to prove our worthiness. So um, I'm just shooting the breeze with you today, sharing my thoughts, my insights on my own life and practices that I've incorporated. So welcome and thank you for listening as we unbuckle the bullshit of being better. <laughs> and uh, I, um, I'm a huge Brene Brown fan. And um, aside from her work on vulnerability, you know, she's done a lot of work and she even has a book, uh, The Gifts of Imperfection. Um, and, you know, it's, it is so true, right? The, the gifts of being imperfect. Um, I love one of the stories that she tells is about taking a picture. Um, she was at the movies with her friends and she decides to take a picture for, um, she's like getting more into photography and just, just having fun and giving herself permission to, to explore a hobby uh, without agenda, right? So I know for me personally, I, I take on a hobby and then it suddenly has to like become this project that needs to generate money or, or somehow be something more than just like, I'm having fun with this hobby. Um, and so that's when we, we start to get into things being more perfect because now it has to be marketed. It has to be this. And, and so we lose the joy and she tells this amazing story, you know, so she takes this picture with her friend in the movie theater. It's super silly, goofy picture. And she posts it on a forum with, um, photography stuff. And somebody, uh, sends her a message that it's like a shitty picture. And, and she talks, I mean, I just, I love her, her transparency and her vulnerability and just sharing like her real time process. Um, cause she gets into how like she's drafting in her head, all of these emails to like, tell this person to go fuck themselves and in her, you know, in her own way. Um, and even correcting their grammar because I think they used like you are Y O U R instead of like, you are like you apostrophe. <laughs> so, um, in the end, she just, you know, she decides to let it go and not even respond to them and not even give them any, any power and just release and come back to the fact that she was having fun, right? She was having fun exploring this new hobby, taking a picture, enjoying the, the silliness and being in the moment. And I feel like we so often rob ourselves of the joy of being in the moment because, things have to be perfect. And so honestly, what inspired me to do this episode is I have, um, clients that I see and, and a couple in particular who was out on some kind of like ATV type thing. And they're out, you know, in a group, there's other people on these like motorized vehicles as well. And her husband is, is driving and, apparently didn't put it in some kind of gear that would have made them go up the hill faster. So my client was like all worried that they looked stupid in front of the other people who were on these, these motorized vehicles. And I, I just, I was like, wow. So rather than enjoy this amazing opportunity to be doing a partner activity together, to be having fun, to be outside you're fixating on the fact that you think these other people give a shit about whether or not you got up that hill faster. Um, and that's so funny because we, we do this to ourselves all the time. We think other people are watching us and they're really not like, I guarantee you 90% of the time that you think somebody else is paying attention to what you're doing and secretly judging you. They aren't, that's all your inner dialogue. We are such self-absorbed people we're scrutinizing ourselves and we bully ourselves. Sure. Like we're, we're obsessed with 
with what we're doing and how well we're doing it and, and what does it look like, especially in, in an age of social media where everything we do gets publicized from what we eat to our bathing habits and our health routines and, um, you know, whatever it is, we we're just constantly documenting and showing like, look how, you know, how great it looks, how fun it is, how, you know, the appearance of it being perfect. And, um, so I, I'm working with them on this and, and I'm, you know, I asked her, I was like, you know, what, what about it? You know, did you feel like you needed to scrutinize because her and her husband ended up getting some whole huge fight because she was being critical of him of not putting it in the right gear and bloody blah, blah, blah. And she's like, well, I want us to be better. And I'm like, better at what? Better at like having fun and like having an ATV ride. Like, you know, what is it exactly that you're trying and better than who better than the people who got up the hill faster? Like, wouldn't you rather just really enjoy the process? Like, wouldn't it have actually been more fun to just be happy that you were on this ATV doing this thing instead you not only sucked the joy out of that experience, but you created a whole argument between you and your partner where you're already struggling for connection and intimacy. And, you know, you took what could have been a really fun weekend that could have turned into potentially some sexy fun time. And instead you drove an even deeper wedge between the two of you nitpicking over this thing, creating shame, creating blame all in the, all in the name of being better. And it's like, what is that? What is this idea of, of better then? Um, and so I call bullshit on being better. Um, her, her defense that she was very staunchly holding on to for dear life and, and, uh, and you know, the, the mountain that she decided to stand upon was that um, if we're not trying to be better then you know, then we're going to be like slacker losers and suck and we're never going to improve and um, we'll just be like sad and complacent. And I disagree with that. I don't believe for one second that bullying ourselves into being better actually makes us better. Um, I feel like all of that bullying, this idea that like, you know, it, it needs to be better or you will be complacent and and some kind of like lazy loser it is just, it's not true. What makes us fall into complacent patterns of, of being, of feeling like, like we're lazy losers is the judgment is the judgment that there's something wrong with resting, with taking your time, with just enjoying something for what it is instead of trying to think that it needs to be better. Um, that the only way in fact, to improve on our lives and, and create growth. Cause I think growth is absolutely important. You know, I think back to where I was in my twenties or my thirties, like I've absolutely grown and I've grown because I loved the things that were challenging me. And I loved the things that I was struggling with. And I learned to see my struggles as superpowers rather than shaming myself for them and see them as learning opportunities and teaching tools. And that was the shift, that shift of being able to be grateful and feel as Brene Brown says, engulfed in gratitude rather than ripping apart things that are joyful um, or even things that are challenging because, you know, everything is a teacher. And so I'm really sitting with this idea that everything can and always will be different, right? There's always different, you know, changes constantly happening. There's always change and that change and the choices we make around those change and the action that we take around the change, our intention around the change, everything that is integrated with our growth and with our changing, it can always be different, but different is not better. Different just is different. Um, and so one of the early things that I learned in my spiritual journey and in my self-growth practice was to just strip out this idea of good or bad. And I feel like better or worse is the same thing. This idea that something could be better or worse is just like good or bad. It doesn't really exist. We create these stories and society certainly helps us to, you know, further enforce those stories that, somebody looks better than you, 
that being skinnier is better or being taller is better or being richer is better, um, that these would be good things to have as opposed to bad or worse things in your life. And I propose that, you know, if you take away all of that, if you strip away the judgment and the stories, you just have different, you just have different situations at any given time. And so then you can actually find joy in that it's different and there can be discernment, right? So there's a, there's a difference (laughs) uh, between discernment and judgment. Judgment carries this weight of shame of guilt of, of that something is not the way it's supposed to be as opposed to acceptance that comes with discernment. Discernment can say, okay, like today, for example, I was feeling frazzled. I have a photo shoot tomorrow. You know, I've got a lot I'm juggling. I wasn't really present. I wasn't being calm and and intentional in my actions, in my actual like physical movement. So our groceries got delivered. I bring the groceries in the house and I'm starting to unpack the groceries. I'm doing it in a very hasty, quick, frazzled manner because I'm feeling this self-imposed pressure to hurry through it. And I rip open one of the bags and the eggs fall out and smash the eggs. And so now I'm even more upset and more frazzled and I've created more stuff to deal with. So would it have been better to slow down? I mean, sure, we could say that, but I could also just observe it as discernment of like, oh, wow, I can objectively, without any attachment of any feelings or labels or stories, I can objectively witness what happened and say, all right. So I was frazzled and I was acting hastily and that actually caused my actions to create more chaos in the moment then is, is necessary. I actually, you know, would have benefited from slowing down, chilling out, taking my time to unpack the, the groceries, trusting that I have enough time to do this. That's discernment. I can discern that my choices and actions in the moment were coming from an anxious, fearful place, as opposed to a calm, grounded, balanced place. Is one better than the other? I mean, we could certainly debate that, you know, but one is definitely different than the other. And to judge myself and be like, oh, I should have done this better. I could have done this better. It's like, no, I could only do what I'm doing in the moment. I could only be where I'm at. And so that moment taught me like, that's right. When I'm feeling upset and frazzled, the best thing I can do is actually slow down. The the thing that will help me is to make the different choice to chill out, relax, take some deep breaths. Like I know I have this practice. I know I have this tool available to me. And so the ability to discern my actions and say like, okay, wow, that was a teaching moment. It reminded me of how important it is to relax and slow down rather than giving into the feelings of anxiety. And next time around, I can come back to that discernment, that ability to see options in my choices and choose something that feels more in line with a loving, calm state. Um, So another one of my favorite authors and speakers is Marianne Wilmanson. She uh, is best known for her book, Return to Love. She quotes a lot from A Course in Miracles and teaches a lot from A Course in Miracles. And at the essence of A Course in Miracles is this idea that everything is either fear or love. And we're, you know, we can always return to love, right? And, And we're in a loving state. We're in a state that is much more centered, balanced, harmonious, ground grounded, et cetera. So I believe, you know, that, that ability to discern falls in that. It's like, I can discern, am I acting out of fear or am I acting out of love? And if I'm acting out of love, I'm more likely making centered choices that are going to help move things smoother and in a sense of alignment, uh, rather than, you know, something like fearful and anxiety driven. So if we can just take a moment to, to look at our lives in this way of acceptance and appreciation, it's like, okay, so I accept and I appreciate 
that I needed to break some eggs this morning in order to remind myself of how important it is to relax and to take a step back and to be slower and more deliberate with my actions. It doesn't mean that my day would have been better if I did that because that becomes then a judgment. And then if I think I could have done it better, that's when I start shitting on myself. You know, the should is, is, is a shitty action. It's a shitty bullying mindset to think you should have done something different than you did it. We do things in order to learn from them, in order to have experiences of growth and development and expansion. And most of the time, my actions and my choices that move in the alignment of change are coming from a place of love. And so they continue to expand and grow that energy. But every once in a while, it doesn't happen that way. And that's just a reminder for me to make choices that are more loving to myself and thus creating more of a a loving vibration around me. So, you know, I think a lot of times we use this idea of being better as a way to avoid actually experiencing joy. And, and Brene talks about this. Um, and I'm actually just going to read a little bit from, from her book, joy and gratitude can be very vulnerable and intense experiences. We are an anxious people, and many of us have very little tolerance for vulnerability. Our anxiety and fear can manifest as scarcity. We think to ourselves, I'm not going to allow myself to feel this joy because I know it won't last. Acknowledging how grateful I am is an invitation for disaster. I'd rather not be joyful than have to wait for the other shoe to drop. And this hit me really hard, especially with regards to my clients, you know, so here's this couple that feels this scarcity of connection, this scarcity of intimacy, this scarcity of joy and acceptance in their own lives of the lives that they've co-created together. And so it's like, they don't even want to let themselves really savor and enjoy and relish and celebrate these little moments in life because of this fear that it won't last. And I get that because it is absolutely true in the sense that nothing is forever, right? We're, we're again, constantly changing, constantly growing. So if let's say they had gone on that ATV ride, not nitpicked over things and instead just enjoyed the experience, just like it would, it, it, it did when, they nitpicked over it, there would have been an end point, right? Eventually the ride would have ended and they would have gone on with their weekend and they would have gone on with their lives. It would have just become a memory. So we don't get to stay in joy. We don't get to stay in shit either, but we tend to feel that, that the lower vibration is somehow easier, um, especially when we kind of instigate creating it. Um, and I think we do it subconsciously so often that we're afraid to really let ourselves have this joyful moment because we know it's going to end. And somehow the sadness and, and grief or loss or um, the, the feelings of, of being without that joy are worse if we've had great joy. Um, And so what I've learned is that I have great joy, but I don't have super low lows. I used to, I used to have these really peak roller coaster style, like major, major highs. And then these like crashing blowing lows, because like Renee says, this, this idea of like the other shoe has to drop. So I had that story. I had that story of like something great happened, something bad had to happen to counterbalance it. And I don't believe that's inherently true. That was a story that I had. I got it from my family, you know, generations of, of people who believed in this very like Catholic style, good and evil, um, and, and this idea of suffering. And so they, they taught me a lot about if, if you love something and something is great, like prepare yourself for it to be ripped away from you and ruined. Um, and that somehow in, in fixating on that, you were better equipped for, 
for dealing with that time of fallout. But what that actually does is taint the joyful experience. It doesn't actually prepare you for anything because things will ebb and flow. There is an up and a down, but the space in between my up and my down now is like a much tinier gap, you know? So Friday night, um, I went and got my hair done Friday because I have this photo shoot coming up. So I went and got my hair done and I was like feeling all like loving on myself. And I was like, you know, to my husband, he ended up uh, with an early night. He also didn't have any like clients or anything. I was like, oh my God, we both have a Friday night off. Like, let's go out. And so like having this joyful moment, I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. And let's go out um, and have a great time to just be there and enjoy it. And not at all during the course of the evening, think like, this is going to be over soon. Any minute now we're going to have to go home. We're going to have to go home and I'll have to get up early in the morning and then we won't have any fun anymore. And, you know, it's like, I could have, I could have totally spun down that pathway of ruining the time that we were having, thinking about how it's going to end. And we do this a lot in relationships. Like we are like, Oh my God, I love you so much. This is amazing. And we're so afraid that it's going to end that we, we like pull back and we hold back. And it's not so much that it ends in this like tragic Romeo and Juliet style way of love ending or, or joy ending, but it does change because that's all there is. All there is, is change. Change is the only guarantee that we have. It's, it, it just, there is no other option for things to change, but that doesn't mean that they're changing for the worse or the better for that matter. It's just changing. And so when we get fixated on this idea that something is going to be taken from us, we rob ourselves of the opportunity to really enjoy it instead of just being with it and loving it. And then being willing to have no attachment to the fact that it will change, that that relationship will change because you will change because change is the gift. The gift is change. I mean, I definitely don't want to be where I was at 10 years old or 20 years old or 30 years old. Like I'm glad I've changed and I've grown and that the people around me have changed and grown. And, and learning to just be in this place of like, okay, so if I don't have attachment to it staying this way and I can just appreciate what it is in the moment and know that if it showed up, things like this will show up again. And it's really so much more soothing and calming and, and peaceful and loving ultimately um, because it works for things that are challenging as well as things that are more celebratory. When something is really challenging, I know that it's temporary and it's here to teach me and I'll move through it. And when something is amazing and I'm celebrating and I'm loving it and I'm savoring it, I know that it'll change, but I don't fixate on it either. I don't fixate on like, oh God, this is going to change and I'm not going to get to have it this same way anymore. It's like, I just get to be like, wow, that was amazing. That was so much fun. Um, Cause I, I know I'm not the only one. I know for at least, you know, <laughs> my husband has, has this pattern as well of something amazing has happened. And then like, we've tried to recreate it, you know, uh, whether that be like, you know, a hot threesome with someone or just like a fun vacation trip. Like we went to Michigan twice and like, it was different the second time we went to Michigan again, not bad or worse or, you know, but it was different. It was a different experience, even though it was the same place, even though, you know, a lot of aspects of it were, were replicated. It was different because we're different because things are changing. So to just be able to enjoy and appreciate and have gratitude for what is rather than letting it like this anticipation of what the change that's about to happen, allowing that to, to kind of spoil the experience. Right. So, um, you know, I think so much of our idea of better comes from comparison and, and a lot of that is external comparison. Sure. But a lot of it is our own internal comparison. We compare the way our body looks to the way it used to look. I went, especially when I first started teaching yoga and I was doing one-on-ones, I had so many clients who were like, I want to do this so I can get back to 
when my body used to fill in the blank, be more flexible, was thinner, was uh, more muscular, you know, uh, whatever it is. And it's like, you will never get back there. Even if you happen to have the same number show up on the scale or have the same, you know, clothing size show up or, or the same muscle definition show up, it's still not going back to where anything was. It is moving in the change in the only direction change can really go, which is a, you know, forward momentum, energy in motion stays in motion. It's, it's a forward momentum. And so this idea of wanting to go back, you know, I hear it with couples too, like, oh, we want it to be like back, like it was when we first met, that's never going to happen. And it doesn't mean that that's good or bad. It doesn't mean that where you were before is better than you are now. It is different. It is different. And so if you can accept that it is different and avoid the temptation to, to chase experiences, to try to create or replicate experiences that were joyful, um, and to try to avoid what you think is going to be the discomfort of, of loss or change, um, by, by fixating on something being better or by depriving yourself of really enjoying the experience. You know, I, I think we, we do ourselves such a disservice in that way. Um, and you know, the, the Buddhists, they seem to have it pretty figured out as far as this idea of, of non-attachment. It's, it's one of the pillars of yoga. Um, it's really prevalent in the Buddhist and Hindu communities, this idea of non-attachment. And it's not that you don't care. It's not that, you know, cause I've definitely swung the pendulum in that direction as well. It's like, oh, it doesn't matter. Um, whatever, like, you know, I'm working with a coach right now and I never considered myself a perfectionist because to me, a perfectionist was someone who was like kind of on the fringe of OCD that like everything, you know, was like super organized and very clean and very neat and very tidy and very precise. And, and I'm not that. Um, but I realized with her help that my perfectionism pattern was that I would procrastinate, wait till the last minute to do something and then just kind of throw it together, you know, kind of in this half-ass sort of way that I, I wasn't really invested and I wasn't really caring. I was just like, it's good enough. We'll just go with it. At least I got it done. And that in itself was sort of this shadow side of perfection that I was so afraid that I couldn't do it perfectly. Um, that I, you know, didn't even try to excel and grow and do something to the best of my ability. Now, I don't even think there is such a thing as perfect. I don't think perfect exists. You know, it's a story, it's a construct, it's, it's an opinion. We can ask 50 different people if something looks perfect, they'll all have a different idea of what that means. So it's, it's, again, it's a judgment there, there really isn't a perfect. However, I'm very well aware of when I am giving, you know, 50, 60% to something versus giving more, more energy and more intention and putting more love into something. Um, and I realize that I can put a lot of love intention and energy into something and still not be attached to getting to keep it as it is, um, and, and the thought that comes to me as I'm talking about this is um, that cartoon, the Tiny Toons cartoon. And in the Tiny Toons cartoon, there was a character, I think her name was Elmira, and she would run around and grab the animals and just squeeze them and be like, I love you and you're mine and you're mine forever and ever and ever. Um, and so I feel like, you know, there's, there's this tendency to want to do that, to just be like, oh my God, this feels so good. I have to just like strangle hold it so that I keep this good feeling instead of seeing that we do get to keep the, the energy of that feeling because energy can't be created or destroyed. It just is and energy in motion stays in motion. So what I have learned is goes back to the, the discernment when 
when I do really show up and I give intention and energy that is really generated from a place of love to create an experience of my, in my life, I get to continue to build on that energy and that momentum and that alignment furthers me aligning with more joyful moments. And then when I need to, to learn or expand or change or grow in a new way, sometimes something challenging may come up, but I'm also equipped to navigate that again, because I don't have attachment to it. I'm, I'm not in a fear place of, oh my God, this is now how it's going to be any more than I'm in a fear place when something, you know, that I'm really enjoying and celebrating is happening that I'm like, oh my God, it's never going to be this way again. Um, I get to just be with that energy and just be in that essence of joy and have fun with it and allow it to show me kind of the next step along the path, the next direction, the next uh, sign, as it were. Um, I notice those things. I notice the subtle communication and conversation with the universe when I'm in a space of just really allowing it to be without any attachments. So we are going to take a quick break and I will be back with you in just a moment as we continue to unpack whether or not better is bullshit. I am your host, Christiane Bella, and we'll be back in just a moment. Think about how much sound you hear all the time. Noise, music, your own heartbeat. What is it made of? How does it work? How does it affect you? The universe of music takes you into the particles of life and the beat of living. It is an interactive online masterclass of music and science taught by the internationally renowned musician and scholar, Dr. Marcin Bella. Visit theuniverseofmusic.com. That's theuniverseofmusic.com. Are you tired of having the same fight over and over again? Is it hard to remember a time when you felt close to each other? Before you call it quits, do you want to do something to rebuild that spark of intimacy? Of course you do. Ignite the passion like never before with Intimacy Architecture. Text 626-310-5159 to set up your relationship consultation. Again, text 626-310-5159. You are listening to Unbuckled with Christy Ann Bella. Reach out to Christy Ann with any questions or comments at intimacyarchitect at gmail.com. That's intimacyarchitect at gmail.com. Christy Ann welcomes your emails. Now, back to the show. Hello and welcome back. I am your intimacy architect, Christy Ann Bella, and we are unbuckling the myths around perfectionism and this idea that better is better. <laughs> and I am uh, posing the question that maybe better is bullshit. And maybe better is just a way in which we bully ourselves and attempt to keep ourselves safe. Um, that how often are we using better as a way to create distance? Because we're actually afraid of really showing up, of being vulnerable, of really being in a moment that is incredibly joyful. Um, and we're in fear that something might be unhealthy or unhappy or challenging to us. And, and so we want to avoid those moments. And so we, we deprive ourselves of, of just experiencing any moment as being different and enjoying it for what is. Um, and I was talking about the amazing book uh, by Brene Brown, the gifts of imperfection. And I love this concept. Um, she writes about perfectionism is a self-destructive and addictive belief system that fuels this primary thought. If I look perfect, live perfect, work perfect, and do everything perfectly, I can avoid or minimize the painful feelings of shame, judgment, and blame. Perfectionism is a self-destructive behavior simply because there's no such thing as perfect. Perfectionism is an unattainable goal. Additionally, perfectionism is more about perception. We want to be perceived as perfect. Again, this is unattainable. There is no way to control perception regardless of how much time and energy we spend trying. 
And so I definitely agree with this idea that perfectionism is an addiction. And, and I see it more and more with clients. Um, I think it's a wonderful way for us to hide out. We hide out in not doing something because we think it has to be perfect. And we, we think we're just better off not doing it at all than, than doing something and it, it being judged as being imperfect. And I was sharing earlier, you know, that I saw a shadow side of my pattern where I would wait till the last minute, do something and not really give it my all. And I was able to trace this back to my childhood. Um, so I am dyslexic and I had a really hard time with spelling. It was a big challenge for me. Um, it still is, but you know, thank God spell check and grammarly and all those things doesn't really matter anymore. And I worked super, super hard. I really, I really gave it my all. I studied really hard for a spelling test and I was supposed to have a, uh, Halloween party with a friend. And when I came home and, um, and I got like a, I don't know, the equivalent of like a C or something on the spelling test, um, my mother's idea was to punish me and not allow me to have that party. So I created a story in that moment that it isn't worth trying really hard. And that if I don't, if I just, you know, half-ass something, I'm like, what's the point essentially was like, what's the point of trying really hard and, and trying to get something to be perfect, to be that, that a plus, um, result because if you try really hard and you fail, then you're going to be punished for it. So you might as well just half-ass something who cares. And so, um, and that was in like, I want to say that was like in the fourth grade or something. Uh, so was, I've been carrying that around for a really long time. Um, and to some degree it, it served, it's, you know, like all tools do, they, they serve us just to a certain degree. So, you know, for example, um, there's a lot of things that I launched and I did, like I had a cabaret show when I first moved to Nashville. Um, I've, you know, I, I, did burlesque. I've, um, I've painted, I've done photography, I've made jewelry. I've done a lot of things that I might not otherwise have done. If I thought I had to do them perfectly, I allowed myself to just be like, well, I'm just doing it for fun. Who cares? And if it, it turns out to be a fucking shit show and a total disaster or whatever, I didn't even try that hard anyway. So it, it doesn't matter if someone thinks it's a failure because I, I didn't try hard. So I'm not, I'm not trying to impress them. I wasn't trying to get it to be perfect. So if, if somebody thinks it's a failure, cool, I don't care. But then I felt like, oh, this is great. If somebody really applauded and celebrated and was like, oh my God, that was amazing. Then I was like, oh yeah, I didn't even try. And it just happened because it's just, it's just that easy. Um, and so, so I was operating from that place up until pretty recently when I, when I began working with a coach who pointed out to me that, you know, this, this pattern I have is, is kind of a shadow aspect of, of perfectionism. And so then I sat with that and it was like, okay, so yeah, what does it look like? And what does it feel like if I do try my best solely for me, not because I'm concerned what anybody else will think about it, but solely because I want to be operating from my own sense of integrity my own moral character, my own um, inner ethical compass of knowing that I have certain skills and certain strengths and superpowers. And if I engage them, then what happens? You know, then I get to, to be in this place of playfulness and curiosity and exploration of like, wow, when I, you know, really show up fully invested and, and intentional this is what happens and it's great. And I love it. And, um, and, and I get to enjoy the results of it. And, you know, it's, it's such a tricky thing. Um, and you hear it from, from celebrities all the time of like, oh, I don't read, you know, comments good or bad, because if you believe one, you have to believe the other. And, and I get that, you know, I definitely get the idea of not wanting to feed in, um, I'll go back to Brene Brown again, you know, what the gift that I got from, from a concept that she uses is this idea of, of your post-it people. Like the, you know, if you think about how many names you could write on a post-it, you could maybe fit four, 
four to six names on a post-it. Those are your people, right? There's like chosen people who you do go to because they are trusted people that you can go to, to help you reflect your blind spots, to help you celebrate what's, what's working, um, to, you know, to really be there, to be your, your most vulnerable self with, to, um, to engage with in a way that is respectful and compassionate and engaging, um, and so, you know, I do love when, when I receive praise, words of affirmation as one of my love languages. I definitely, I really enjoy that. I enjoy, you know, people celebrating me and, and accolades. Um, but my, my, my actions are not dependent on it. It's, it's like an extra cherry on top. Um, and equally so, you know, like my coach, for example, it's like, here's somebody who I'm hiring, who I'm, I'm, you know, I've employed to help me spot my blind spots, to help me refine things so that I have a better sense of discernment in, in the choices I'm making and what I'm doing. It's not necessarily because I think I have to be better. Um, cause it's like better than who, you know, better than what, um, I love Saturday night live is one of my favorite shows. And, um, I totally crush on Pete Davidson, like having grown up as a, you know, girl in Brooklyn, like his like Staten Island, like style really appeals to my, my 12 year old self. Um, and I was watching one of his standups and he had me cracking up because he talks about how, you know, he, as a comedian, you have comedians, you, you follow and you admire. And, um, Louis CK was one of those. And Louis CK was like giving him shit about how much pot he smoked and like what a loser he was for smoking pot. And he's like, man, I felt really bad about myself. And I thought, oh, I should be like doing better. Like I should be like, you know, and then Louis CK gets, you know, um, called out in the midst of the Me Too Time's Up movement for being uh, sexually harassing and like jerking off in front of people. So then it's like a matter of perspective. So like, yeah, here's this person who you think like, oh, I should be better. I should be like more like this person. And then it's like, no, like, because we all have shit. Like we all have stuff going on. You don't know. So you can't compare yourself or try to like, again, bully yourself into being better. That's, that's not how it's going to work. It really is about being brave enough to, to appreciate and love who you are as you are and then decide, well, I, I'm going to be intentional in the actions and the changes I'm taking so that the actions and the changes I'm taking are really in alignment with this love for myself. Because when you're really in that state of, of love and appreciation, um, of yourself, it becomes more and more clear what is or isn't in alignment for you. And I think, you know, a gift that, that I've gotten out of that, um, is not, not deliberately seeking out challenging moments to prove that I can overcome them. I think that's another defect of perfectionism and abuse trauma kind of weaved into one, um, you know, to just unnecessarily find myself in, in dramatic, challenging situations just to prove like, I can get out of this. I can like, I can make it better. I can take shit and turn it into Shinola. I can take the lemons and turn them into lemonade. It's like, yeah, sure you can, but do you really want to be (laughs) in piles of shit and lemons just to prove that you're, you're good enough and you can do this better and you can turn them into something else. It's like life will ebb and flow and weave and, and present us with, with challenges for growth opportunities and for learning. We don't need to deliberately seek them out. And, you know, and I think a great way to like check yourself on this is, is just to really be honest. Like, like the last, like, think about the last dramatic pain in the ass, challenging hardship experience you had, and just really step back and look at your part in it. Like really be honest and take an inventory of like, well, what was my role in this? What was I doing to co-create this? And if you can take ownership and see if you had a piece in there that was like a self-sabotaging piece, 
you know, having that compassion first off to just be like, wow. So I'm, I'm clearly having some feelings of unworthiness and fear because I, I set this situation up to, to create this drama in order to prove that I'm, I'm better than, or that I can do something. Um, and instead I could just stop this behavior and this habit and this pattern that's creating that and put that energy into sitting with myself and being loving towards myself. So one of my most recent practices that I've been engaging in is silent meditation. And now I have been meditating since like the early two thousands. Um, but silent meditation was not something I gravitated towards. I did a lot of walking meditations. I did a lot of breathing meditations. I did meditations with hand mudras, meditations with mantras, um, very active focused meditations that, that still involved something was happening. Something was like, you know, it wasn't just like, okay, sit and sit and be quiet. And, and it is a funny misconception because you won't sit and be quiet necessarily. You will, or at least I am, I'm learning the practice of, of sitting and stepping back even beyond the witness that witnesses your thoughts, right? So transcendental meditation is this idea that like you step back and you realize that you aren't these thoughts and you're just the witness to the thoughts and you just let the thoughts go by and you keep returning to your breath. This level of like deeper compassionate meditation that I'm working with um, is just so much about effortlessness, about seeing that you're also not even the witness that, you know, you are everything. You are these thoughts and you are also not these thoughts. Um, you are being breathing and you're also, you know, just molecules and nothing in, in, in your own way. Um, and so it really just becomes this practice of like, how can I be so compassionate that I'm not allowing myself to be swayed in any direction, but I can just be here in this presence of love that just washes through me. And then, and it does wash the space in between the thoughts, you know, like there's, there's definitely fewer thoughts that pop up in my head and they are thoughts that don't have an emotional charge when they do pop up. Um, and just to allow myself to just be this being of love, to just be in this state of, I am period. Like I am, you know, and I think perfectionism, that's where we start to tack on all the labels. We start to tack on like, well, I am a good person. I am a smart person. I am, I am better than this person. I, you know, I am a mother. I am a teacher. I am a sister. I am a wife. I am a, whatever it is. We start to like tack on all these labels and then we build this identity and we, we build this idea of like, well, I'm lovable because I'm these things. And then it's like, well, if I'm better at doing these things, am I more lovable? Like, no, because you're not those things. And, and so, you know, one of, um, one of the meditations that helped me to even start to get into this place to practice this more like compassionate meditation that, that is about the art of not doing anything, um, was, a mantra meditation. I am, I am just stripping away all identity, all labels, all stories, and just coming back to this essence of I am simple. So it's something I highly recommend. Um, you know, you could do it with a breath. You could be inhaling. I exhaling M. Um, you could say it out loud if you want. I am. Um, I also have a practice that I I've done if you're one of those people like me, whose brain is like thousand different directions, you can uh, incorporate it with a hand mudra. So then it becomes, I am here now. So I touch my uh, thumb to my pointer finger and it's I, and then to my middle finger, M ring finger here, and then touching your thumb to your pinky finger now. And so you go through and breathe and you can, do it mentally to yourself or out loud. I am here 
now. And so you're touching your thumb to each one of your fingers, moving from your index to your pinky finger, doing this practice. And it just really helps you come into cultivating this relationship with the essence of yourself that is pure love, that is just pure divine love. And in that space, there is no perfect or imperfect. It's just love. It's just that pure divine source love. So there's nothing to be better than it just is. And that goes back to this idea, you know, of, of if we can take out the charge of better or worse, good or bad, if we can strip that out and just allow things to be different, accept that things will change. And in that acceptance of things will change, releasing any attachment and just allowing things to be different and moving with a discernment that helps you be clear on your intentions of how you're taking action to engage in any given moment with the changes and the choices that you have and the things that can be different and to do so from a place of this divine love essence, which is who you are. It's all that is and ever was and ever will be. At least that's my opinion. <laughs> so, you know, you, uh, you decide what works for you, but I have definitely discovered in the years that this, this absolutely works for me to be my most divine loving essence of self and embrace what is and allow it to unfold and help me align in, in each given moment, because I'm being intentional about engaging lovingly first with myself and then with everything around me. So that has been the unbuckling of better. I hope you have cleared some space in your life to embrace what is and welcome the, the glorious experience and adventure of loving yourself fully and completely because you are, there is enough of everything. And I am so grateful to have this opportunity to share this insight with you. And I, I truly, it's a, it's a gift to get to, to grow and to share the, the tips and tools and techniques that have helped me on my path. You can learn more about all the things on my website, which is intimacyarchitect.com. We are launching a member program starting in November. So you'll have a place, a forum on the website to connect, to interact with each other, to create community, to grow and support and help share these tools and these techniques so that we can continue to build a life that we love. I am so, so grateful again for this opportunity to be here and share this with you. I am Christiane Bella, your intimacy architect, and you've been listening to Unbuckled. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Unbuckled. You can join Christiane Bella for another program with amazing guests, stories, and advice every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to check out our new show coming soon. 